Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Adam Childers. We are back with the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I am here in the crow's nest. Uh, producer Tyler's put us in a little bit bigger room. I, I think Briefly Legal's uh, moving on up in the world. Got some uh, spacier confines to, you know, put on the show today, which is uh, very, very cool. And even cooler than that is that uh, I'm going to be joined by one of my favorite people in the entire firm, one of my very good friends inside and outside of the firm, and that is Will Hoke. Will, say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. You betcha. This is our first time together, which is kind of amazing. We uh, love to chat about everything uh, uh, when we get together, but this is our first podcast together. So I'm really excited, particularly because we're talking about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. We're we're big cheerleaders when it comes to the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, and uh, the firm had a really special occasion uh, last week, and that was our 120th birthday, and that meant that Will, who, uh, in addition to being the chair of the of the firm's bankruptcy uh, practice group, uh, he's also the chair of the Lex Mundy bankruptcy and insolvency group, and he's also a fellow in the American College of Bankruptcy, which means He's big time when it comes to bankruptcy and bankruptcy litigation, but he's also the shareholder who is in charge of our marketing efforts, working with Mark Christian, our uh, our director of marketing, Tyler Elliott, uh, that works there as well. And they put on quite the show. We had a big celebration at the First National Center, and it, it was it was a big time event and a lot of fun. But as I think we'll learn from our discussion today, it was a, it was about a lot more than just you know good cake and uh, you know bubbly champagne. It was really a reflection on who we are as a firm and where we are going in the future, which made it a really exciting event. So I thought, you know what? The party was last week, but the the efforts will be ongoing. So let's have Will come in here and kind of talk about all that. So, Will, I'm really excited to, to kind of break all this down. And I think maybe the place to start is just um, – you know, a little bit of our, our history, it was fun watching some young associates' eyes kind of light up, seeing, you know, things that they probably didn't know about or, or at least had heard about, but, you know, never had fully explained. But let's kind of take our listeners back in time to August 26th of 1902. That's where the story begins for the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, right? It is. Um, August 26th, 1902 was when Charles Johnson who was a Swede originally, came from Sweden and immigrated to the United States. He started a law firm that became Crowan Dunleavy in Indian Territory. So prior to Oklahoma becoming a state, approximately five years before it became a state, he sat down and planted roots and decided that this is the place that he was going to practice. And um, from there, he had a number of other People join him along the ways. You know, I think the first one was um, Mr. Crockett. He joined about a year later, um, about 
2000, I'm sorry, 1902, mm-hmm. he began, and then it became Crockett and Johnson. Which is just a great, you know, name for a firm and like, you know, the pre-statehood Crockett and Johnson. I, just, <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds like they're bearing knives when they head into the into the courthouse. At least that's in my mind the way I like to think of it, Will. But I think I'm sure they were better statesmen than that. I think we just needed someone by the name last name of Boone at that point. Exactly. Too, exactly. Know, so. Yeah. You can see where my mind was headed. So so Crockett and Johnson, well, who's who's the next kind of big name in that, in that lineup? Well, the next big name was John Embry. He joined the firm in 19, or actually before that, it was uh, Mr. Burwell. He joined the firm in 1907, but passed away in in 1916. And then uh, John Embry joined soon in 1962. He was the former county attorney for Lincoln County. He was the mayor of Chandler, Oklahoma. Um, He was in the Oklahoma Territory Legislature. He was a judge in Lincoln County. Um, he was the U.S. attorney for the Oklahoma Territory and then became unit U.S. attorney for the Western District of Oklahoma and then county attorney for Oklahoma County. So he was quite a, a, an individual and had a very distinguished um, background, mostly in the prosecution side. But he also was the president of Central 100 is what it was called. And the Central 100 was an, an organization to fight bootlegging and gambling rings, which oh, no were kidding. pretty prevalent, yeah, at the t- at the time. Huh. Well, now, so we've you know we've heard about Embry and Judge uh, Burwell and and others, but of course, I think people start to wonder, well, what when did Mister Crow and Mister Dunlevy arrive on the scene? So, well, yeah, they arrived. So, um, Vinsel Penny Crow or Vip Crow arrived at at Crow and Dunlevy in 1929. He was. The county attorney in Garfield County, he actually ran for U.S. Congress. He graduated from the University of Missouri and then became an assistant attorney general uh, of Oklahoma and joined the firm in, in 1929. He was known as, as Mr. Outside. He was the outside face of the firm. He was a talented, talented trial lawyer. The stories that that um, he has or that have, that are told about him. I'm sure some of them are getting taller and taller, but, <laughs> but um, the, the, his, his ability to cross-examine, his ability to keep a, a, uh, a jury entranced is really pretty legendary. Andy Coates told a story the other day about uh, one trial in particular where I guess Mr. Crow couldn't be there in the morning, and so the judge said, "We can go. We can proceed with the trial, or we can wait." And so one of the jurors, he was polling the jury, and the one of the jurors who ended up being the foreman of the of the jury raised his hand and said, "I would prefer that we wait for Mr. Crow. He's the life of the party." <laughs> so um, I think at that point, um, you know, I guess the the remaining jurors. Um, agreed, and I think at that point, if I was on the other side, I'd settle that case pretty darn pretty darn quick. Right away, I think they'd picked a favorite. That's that's for sure. Yeah, the, and yeah, the, the stories uh, are, are legendary of Mister Crow, you know, jumping on a train and heading to, you know, hand or murder trial, and then you know, heading to complex civil litigation. You know, the day after, I mean, he was a guy that would take on anything and everything, known to be quite fearless, and, and really, I think, set the tone for what. Crow and Dunleavy became known for for many, many years, which being a very, very strong litigation firm, but also just hearing how he 
led the firm. I, I th- there were more than a few people that sort of chuckled about it, but you could tell he, you know, he was he was the man, and everybody knew it. I think that's pretty pretty clear. He was a uh, he was very demanding, but um, on the flip side, as as it was told to me, he never demanded of anything else um, that he wasn't willing to do or already doing. And I think that that you know setting that strong work ethic and that strong example is is what you know continues to this day. Um, so you had Vip as Mr. Outside, then you had Mr. Tolbert who was Mr. Inside. And what he was is he was really the administrator of the an internal administrator of the firm and really was the was the guy who was the glue that hold, held the, the firm together back in the day. And the thing that's nice about Mr. Tolbert is um, we have, um, of course, two other Tolberts that have been at the firm. You know, Molly Tolbert, who's still here and probably, I think, hands down one of the best um, antitrust lawyers in legal minds, University of Michigan, brilliant um, Yale undergrad. Um, and then her husband, um, you know, of course, was here and and uh, and he. Miles Tolbert. Yes, Miles Tolbert. Miles um was here for a long period of time, and then he went to work at. He was actually the um, the Secretary of Energy for the state for a while, and That's then, right. then yep. he went to work for Chesapeake for a while. Um, but having those those legacy names here at the firm is really affirming in that um, that we have that we see these generational um, gifts is what I call them because they're both Molly and Miles are both incredibly talented lawyers, but. Their, but their ancestor, Raymond Tolbert, was um, a regent at University of Oklahoma. He was president of the OU Alumni Association and really just a, an incredible individual. And, you know, having Mr. Inside keep the glue together while Mr. Outside was out um, trying cases and training um, young litigators is really, um, really, I think, would established a, a nice foundation for the for the firm. Yeah, Bill Paul, who was one of those that was feted at our party last week uh, and the celebration, you know, and one of your mentors. I know he really. Um, he said he set the keel for the firm and, and really built the infrastructure that is, you know, the fabric of our, our firm today. So I guess that leaves, at least in the early, uh, the first part of the of the nineteenth century, at least, uh, Fred Dunleavy. That's right. So Fred Dunleavy joined the firm in 1937 and was really kind of instrumental in recruiting, um, together with Mr. Tolbert, recruiting um, individual great lawyers that were going to be more of on the business side and and assist young businesses that were that were just starting in in Oklahoma um, get a foundation, get a good strong legal foundation in place, and so he was well known for. Um, that type of activity and growing some incredible business lawyers on the business side. And I think it's, you know, I, I remember years and years ago when I when I was doing recruiting for the firm, we came across some old letters from mostly Harvard Law School and Ivy League law schools to Mr. Tolbert, introducing to him different young men at the time. Um, the world has changed dramatically. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But young men about, and their legal skills recommending them for employment. And Mr. Tolbert would um, vet them. And if they met his strict legal and 
ethical um, you know requirements, then then they would usually be offered a, a position with the firm. So. Well, the, the, the list of, of, you know, the luminaries goes on and on, but, but so do all the awards. I, I, the, you know, one of the things that was really exciting to see was the kind of the recounting of, of what the firm has produced over the years in terms of, you know, uh, you know, judges and, 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 presidents and and uh, of universities and other institutions really just agents of change as it were for the state tell us a little bit about some of those that uh, got uh, talked about yeah it really is when you stop and you reflect and this was the purpose of our party the other day and that is you know you get so busy in the day-to-day grind of of legal work that you forget and to to kind of raise your head up and look around and remember um, and be thankful for and grateful for those who you work who you work with, but also those upon whose shoulders we stand today, which was the theme of the party. But to to recount some just some of the um, items, you know, we've had three law school deans between Andy Coates, Joe Harris, both at University of Oklahoma, um, Chuck Mooney, who was um, who was also he was the dean at University of Pennsylvania. Um, we've had a number of university presidents, Joe Harris, of course, at OU, but also Brad Carson at University of Tulsa, and Kenny Levitt, who is at OSU Tulsa, um, president. Um, Kenny and, and Brad and I worked in Washington, D.C. together before we moved back to Oklahoma, and strangely enough, we all ended up at Crow and Dunleavy. Hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a small world, but, you know, we've had two Rhodes Scholars. We've had two ABA presidents, which is pretty remarkable. Very. I don't think that there's any other firm in the nation that's had two ABA presidents. And I've studied the list pretty hard. Um, it really is a, a remarkable thing between Bill Paul, um, who was who is just a, a remarkable individual, and then, of course, Lawrence Walsh. Lawrence Walsh was a, an incredible career. He started off in the working in the Dewey administration. That's right. Thomas Dewey ran for president and was, you know, the district attorney effectively of Manhattan uh, and was worked for him and worked on bribery, um, worked on a lot of racketeering. Busting the mob. And, yeah, busting yeah. the mob and all, all kinds of really pretty fascinating things. But from there, he went on to be a judge for the Southern District of New York. And then he went in to be the second man in in command of the U.S. Um, Department of Justice during the Eisenhower administration. But his career didn't stop there. He ends up going on and being the, the lead negotiator for the Paris peace talks to That's end right. the war in Vietnam. And then the Iran-Contra um, uh, independent investigator um, and independent counsel, and which is all of those are – in and of themselves are, are incredible accolades, but when you put them all together and wrap them in one person, he was he was a remarkable person, a remarkable individual, first, and first the met, nicest guy ever. Oh, first met Judge Walsh. We were out for uh, scouting a location for the firm softball game. He was out uh, walking uh, his his little tiny dog and stopped and asked who I was and what I was doing. Uh, mentioned I was with the Crow and Dunleavy, and that began like a 30-minute discussion that he gave of his time with me. And then I wound up inviting him to meet with all of our summer clerks at, uh, you know, at a, a different location where we sat down literally for 
two and a half hours and just listened to stories. Could have done it for two and a half days, Will. It was that uh, amazing. And the man was at that point uh, almost 100 years old. Uh, it, 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 I, I get chills still thinking uh, about the time we got to spend with him. Yeah, I, I had an opportunity to, to sit with him at his house and interview him about um, a, a bribery case that he had worked on. And he was 98, 99 at the time and still sharp as all get out, even down to the days that uh, different events occurred in the 30s. Um, and this was an individual who was on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, United States Second Circuit, um, who had who had been receiving bribe money and was one of the short list to be on the United States Supreme Court. Mm. So they had to increase, hurry up the investigation. And it was so funny because he said that he said it was so hard because the bag man was an Irishman. Um, and I said, well, why did that make it so hard? And he just looked at me like, you know, I was <laughs> like I had three eyes. And he said, well, because everybody knows you can't flip an Irishman. I was like, <laughs> I did not know you can't flip an Irishman. But it was he's he was a fascinating individual. But, you know, we, you go from there. We've had six OBA presidents between Vip Crow, John Lettrell, Jack Lettrell, Andy Coates, Harry Woods, Gary Clark. Um, you go down that that list and and. It you start seeing um, themes that make up Crow and Dunleavy, and that is you know community involvement. It's community, not just involvement, but you know involvement in the bar. It's involvement in nonprofit entities. It's in involvement in pro bono giving back, and all of those different elements are, are so important when you start thinking about our history and we start remembering from, you know, where we came from. Absolutely. And it regrounds us. And that's really the purpose of our celebration to reground yeah. us. And I don't know if you mentioned in there, and I know it can be overwhelming if we try to hit everything, but of course our federal judges, uh, judges Backrack, Joplin, uh, Judge Holmes, just to name a, a few that are coming immediately to mind on the federal bench and yeah, we've and got Tenth Circuit. Yeah, three um, judges that were that are two of them still serving on the Tenth Circuit, and the third, Judge Holloway, and they just named the federal building here in Oklahoma City after Judge William Holloway, William course, J. Holloway Jr. Of course, Judges Goodwin and Maxfield Green over in the West Western District, and yeah, it's, Judge Ger Jerry Jackson just from our Tulsa office just taking the. Uh, position, I think, in the Eastern District, right? In the Eastern District to try and help with with the just flood of cases. Um, the McGirt. From, yeah, the, from, resulting from McGirt and and try and clean up the, the um, you know, the situation that's the out there. Out there but, yeah. but we have, you know, like you said, Bill Holloway, Bob Backrack, Jerome Holmes from the Tenth Circuit. You've got U.S. District Court judges, Tom Brett, Charles Goodwin, Lawrence Walsh. You've got magistrate judges. Judges again. It was um, Backrack was a magistrate judge. That's right. Susan Huntsman, Amanda Maxfield Green, Jerry Jackson. You have U.S. Tax Court appointed by Reagan. You have Larry Whalen. Um, then we have appellate court judges Burwell, Judge Burwell, jo Judge Luttrell, Larry Joplin, Deborah Barnes. Then we have district court judges Brian Henderson and Kirsten Pace. Oh yeah, and. Um, you know, it's just it's it's a legacy that that I don't think 
uh, I think is really, quite frankly, unmatched. Judge Henderson was an associate with me, and uh, I remember thinking, "Oh my goodness, he is a he is a smart man uh, and, uh, and and fun to be around." Well, let, let's talk then for a second. You you said that that's really what you know that the celebration was all about. It was really built around four pillars. Tell tell us about what those pillars are, because they're important not only for understanding the celebration, but really what the plans are for moving forward. Sure. So, you know, about a year ago, working with Tyler Elliott and and Mark Christian on how we're going to properly focus our efforts during our 120th 120th anniversary celebration, it really kind of came back to who are we? And, and it really came to an opportunity to reflect on not only who we are, but look, reflect on um, those um, that came before us and what, what are we about? And it just kept coming down to really four things. One is our community giving, and that's primarily through the Crow and Dunleavy Foundation. The second one is the community involvement. Our lawyers serve on boards, serve on um, you know, nonprofit organizations as general counsel or as a board member, um, but they give an incredible amount of time in that community involvement, which I think is remarkable, and and it's something that we need to that we need to celebrate. Our lawyers that do pro bono work um, is just in, is just absolutely incredible. When you look at the the number of hours, you know, in the last um, four and a half years, it's been almost seven thousand hours, seven thousand hours of time. Given, given to pro bono work. And and the, just if I could digress for just a second, um, two years ago, I was the MC for the Access to Justice um, uh, CLE that we had out at the Oklahoma Bar Association meeting. And during that, um, being that MC, we had a we had a little lunch. So I was went and grabbed something to eat. And I see Roger Stong coming down the, the stairs. And I'm like, what is he doing? He must be in the wrong place because he's a business lawyer there getting CLE at a time right. other than, you know, December 31st. Um, and I said, well, Roger, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I just came down to see what was going on. I said, that's kind of weird. And so little did I know, we all get in and we're eating lunch. He gets the highest award that was given by the Access to Justice Committee for his work with the um, not only access to justice, but also um, putting together a 501c3 um, for their for their for their work. And it just it really is is kind of typical. You know, when you start going to lunch with somebody, you start spending time with some of your colleagues, you realize all of this stuff that they're really doing in addition to practicing law full time. And their dedication to the community, their dedication to pro bono services, et cetera, is just really tremendous. But the the fourth pillar is our pillar on diversity and inclusion. And it's the one that I get jazzed about. It's it's you've, you've you been know, instrumental in the in it for the firm and really it's a byproduct, I think, of your time with Bill Paul and his initiatives when he was uh, ABA president. That, that's right. So when I was a baby lawyer, Bill Paul was, he was president of the American Bar Association. And I, 
um, I got the opportunity to basically um, help carry his bags to these different meetings. And, and, uh, and um, he was um, his one of his primary goals that year was to raise the profile of promoting um, racially and a racially and ethnically diverse legal profession. If you think about what the legal profession looked like in the late 80s, early 90s, um, and and you kind of reflect on that for a minute, I mean, there really weren't even women practicing law. And that's a, that's a really recent history. Yes. Bill was very instrumental here at Crow in hiring women initially and making sure that women were included in law firms, et cetera. Um, but then when he became ABA president, he wanted to raise the profile of racial and ethnic diversity. And of course, that's now included, um, you know, uh, gay, lesbian, transgender, you know, questioning all of the all of the sexual orientation individuals to make them feel that, that they have a place to to be as well. And um, meaning a, a profession that they can be a part of. And and that that was instrumental in me then um Try, you know, Bill established the the ABA um, Diversity um, Scholarship Fund, which provides fifteen thousand dollars to each awardee um, to basically be able to to afford law school. A lot of these um, racially and ethnically diverse kids um, might not be able to go to law school, but for that scholarship, um, Bar- Barbara. Paul and Bill Paul, Barbara and Bill, uh, Barbara's Bill's wife, um, started the initial seed money of $50,000 for that scholarship program. I had the honor to go to and ask the firm for a matching amount. We were the, the ones that established $100,000. And from there, because Bill knew that if you don't ask at home first, you can't get it, it from somebody else. Um, he asked at home, and we responded with a, with the initial seed money of a hundred thousand dollars. And literally within about ten days, he had in excess of two million dollars raised in in that Mind in blowing. that fund. And and that was you know it, it was time. Um, if you look at the history of the ABA since then, you see how diverse it's become. It is it's a very dynamic organization it's a it's a very exciting organization they're doing a lot of great work but he, but what i also wanted to do is i guess you can call me mr inside number 2 part duh um and or, or duh yeah, yeah that's right more like duh um is is turning is turning inward and saying you know what are we doing what's right. crow and dunleavy doing um to make our legal profession in Oklahoma more diverse and look more reflective of society as a whole. Right. That's the thing that Bill would always would always speak of is, you know, the the justice system is in the in the rule of law is always in jeopardy if the justice system doesn't look like or is not reflective of society. Um, and and I think that there's so much just just really simple truths to that. So I went and asked the firm for um, the opportunity to establish scholarships at, at our law schools here in Oklahoma, which we did, and we call them the Crow Scholars. And since that has been established, we've 
um, given in excess of $400,000 to Crow Scholars at the University of Oklahoma, OCU, and Tulsa law schools. And it's been a huge success. Oh, yeah. How um, exciting was it to see two of our, our, our Crow Scholars uh, accept permanent offers of employment and, and get to announce that last Friday at the celebration? I was so excited. It was it was I, it was one of the best moments of the entire night. Yeah, it was it was it was so exciting. It was a great great night, great opportunity for them to be recognized for their efforts and 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 also the the best thing about it was receiving all that warm applause. Yeah, um, because that that's what it's about. Not just um, you know, it, it's hard to be a trailblazer like you know. Robert Alexander, who was also there, who was from their Flash. from our firm Flash, um, he was he was there and um, talk about history. I mean, he he's from Oklahoma City um, and went to Harvard Law School as an African American in the 1970s, um, which was an incredible feat. But then to realize that he needed to come back to Oklahoma and, and really um, blaze um, tra- blaze the trail here in Oklahoma. Um, and he did. And he started here at Crow and Dunleavy. He eventually went and started his own law firm, but but he's still family. That's right. And, and watching Christopher Stain, who's uh, an instrumental part of our Dallas office and who is someone that owes a great uh, debt of gratitude to you, Will, I know in in, in his career as a, um, you know, someone who came up through the ranks uh, in the same fashion, he, he really paid just such an uh, amazing uh, honor. I mean, he just said, you know, if it were not for, uh, you know, Flash Alexander, or maybe I'm not here. And that's, you know, seeing that in action, watching the generational changes and seeing them recognize and appreciate those who came before them. Uh, that was just a terrific, terrific part of the night. And the same on the on the gender side, you know, I, I you know, watching uh, Judy Morse and Brooke Murphy receive um, all the attention and then some that they, they, they so richly deserve. I mean, you're talking about a couple of women that, you know, were alone on an island. I mean, Brooke was the only uh, partner that was a female here. And then, uh, you know, for uh, Judy to go on to be, you know, president of the firm, it was, and I know she means so much to you in your career. Talk a little bit about their participation. Well, I mean, you can't have a night like we did the other night and not celebrate the great women of Crow. It's just, it's remarkable. It's the reason why I, I wanted to come to Crow. Um, I was working for a federal judge over bankruptcy judge over in the Western District, um, Judge Richard Bohannon. And I consistently saw one female lawyer, Judy Morse, come in with this grace mm-hmm. and skill that was bar none the the best out of any other lawyer by comparison. I mean, she was so far ahead of, of everyone else. Um so well prepared, um, you know, every time we would, you know, a new hearing or something big was going to happen, the judge would say, I want you to read these briefs. These are the best briefs we've seen in a long time. And they were always, you know, briefs from Judy Morse. And they were clear, concise. They didn't go on for, you know, a bajillion pages, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but I think we finally had a nice acknowledgement um, that the one of the be- probably the best lawyer ever produced from this firm was Judy Morse. And More she, than one person said yeah. it that night. And you're talking about a room full of some 
tremendous attorneys, the Clyde Muchmores and you know, Dean Stringer and uh, Dean Coates and others, but she deserves it. Yeah, she really did. And, and you know, I got to learn at her knee. I mean, what, what other better opportunity in the world? And, you know, the only thing that I can do to try and, and pay back is I dedicate a lot of my time trying to mentor um, young women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and minority, you know, racial, ethnic, minority or, you know, gay, lesbian, I don't care how, how you get here, but if you're here and you want to be mentored, we're going to make sure we, we get you mentored. And, and that's, that's kind of the way I think of paying it forward, mm-hmm. um, for the next generation, because I, I've been given so much, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really, I, I think that, you know, there's, it's almost biblical and that you, if you've, to whom much has been given, much um, is asked. And if it's asked of you and you don't step up, then, then it's just, it's just not appropriate. And, and we have a place that, that people respond to that call. Yeah. It's which, which was neat watching in that same vein, like uh, Brooke Murphy, you know, who, who, sort of passed it along to Timla and Timla Rother has been a five-year president of, uh, of the firm and, and, and now steps into those shoes. But it's that tradition of handing off that torch and saying, I did my part. Now it's time for you to do yours. And that was the part that was as a, a 22 year attorney here at the firm, you know, that's the things that get you excited and think, okay, there's so much more yet to be done to, to teach the young associates to give to the community, to build on this foundation of these pillars that you're talking about that, you know, that really are, are, are who and what Crondonovi is. Well, that's right. And, and the thing that's really interesting to me is to sit there and reflect on, you know, you never thought of when Judy was president that, oh, well, she's a, she's a female. Right. You know, you never thought that, um, you know, when Brooke was president or Timula was president, that the, fir- the first thing in your mind didn't enter that she's that they're females. Mm-hmm. The first thing that entered your, their mind is that they're all really, really brilliant individuals. Right. And um, the other thing that has always entered my mind is just their 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 grace and fairness in the way that they deal with people, um, their humanity um, in the way that they deal with people um, and have dealt with very difficult issues. Each one of them is, you know, you can't be president of a major law firm and, and not be hit with some um, some different um, and difficult situations. But each one of them has held, has held that office and done it with incredible, um, with incredible grace. And I just, I think that, that honoring them in particular was, was also a special, special time. Yeah. Day. I was struck in the it, part of the video interview. Brooke was, they said, well, what would you think when you became president? She said, I just wanted to do a good job, right? She didn't say it was anything other than what was expected, which is step into that role and, and fulfill it the best way possible. But, you know, on top of that, it was more difficult. Of course it was. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. And and you never heard, heard them say anything about that. No. And you never heard them complain. It's And it's the same thing that I remember coming back um uh, after a hearing and I was upset about the fact that the judge was holding me to a different standard than the, the lawyers on the other side. And I went in to complain to Judy and she said, 
that's not something we complain about. Mm-mm. And I just, it just stopped me in my tracks. You know, it's an honor for us to have to work harder than everybody else. It's an honor for us to um, make sure that our ethics are above reproach. It's an honor for us to have that luxury. And those, those lessons that I learned from her and Brooke and Timolet still today um, are really, really pretty, pretty awesome. Um, and, you know, just stuff that, that I hope that I can do them justice in, in turn. Indeed. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a party, you know, last Friday, but it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a bigger commitment. I know over the next year, we're, you know, really hoping to celebrate these 120 years by, you know, continuing to give back to the community. I saw um, Mr. Figgins from Legal Aid, um, Aaron Gooden from City Rescue Mission there, a couple of organizations we've done a lot of great work with. Uh, what, what, what happens in this next year? What are we hoping to, to accomplish? Well, really, what we're trying to do is build upon what we've done in the past, and that is, you know, redouble our efforts um, in terms of community involvement, in terms of community giving, um, in terms of our pro bono efforts, um, making sure that every lawyer who wants to get involved um, has an avenue, a direct avenue to get involved in, in all of those things. Um, we are really focused on our diversity and inclusion, um, you know, our, our recommitment to not only the Crow Scholars, but also um, to all of the other giving that we do on diversity um, related issues. We've, you know, that's been about another $200,000 just in making sure that, that, um, the BALSA has the, uh, the law schools have the ability to go and go to their national meeting and be a part of their national moot court. And, you know, same with the Hispanic students and the Asian, um, students, whatever, whatever it is, we're trying to redouble our efforts and making not, sh- not just, making sure that they can get there, but also committing lawyers who's, who are going to go and help them get ready for those MOOC core competitions. Because the universities can't do everything. They're, oh, yeah. they're spread pretty thin. But you think about, you know, year in and year out, Christopher Stain going and working with the, with the um, BALSA um, students that want to go to MOOC court. And those kids perform better when they have a, a real law litigator. Without a doubt. Helping them. Showing them investing away, in them. investing yeah. in them, and the confidence that you see those kids grow from there. I mean, you think about our scholarship, and I, you know, there's a lot of these kids that I that I still keep up with. I mean, Corey Corey Warren Tisdale, one of our first um, recipients, Alicia Curran Moore. Um, you know, Alicia is doing great things here in the state. Corey is in the military and mm-hmm. doing, you know, just in, incredible stuff. Gary Davis. Um, has moved to Tulsa and is up, up there um, working for the uh, for the district attorney's office. I mean, you go to, you go through these different these different individuals and you see, um, you know, just to sit there and say we may have played a, a small part on on boosting maybe their confidence or maybe you know just enough uh, money in their pocket to get through school or just enough to, to them just to have an affirmation from from a majority law firm saying, we want you to be a part of our legal profession here in Oklahoma is is why this pro why this program is so important to me. 
to yeah. see these young kids and flourish. We've, and we've got that infrastructure moving forward to to make sure that happens. I'm really impressed with some of our younger lawyers, the Amy Majaways uh, and Christopher Staines of the world that are, you know, they're getting out there and making uh, a, a difference in the community at a at a time in their careers when it'd be easy just to say, I've got too much other stuff going on. But but yeah. again, that culture hopefully is building a foundation for people to say, I, I, I need to do more than just work and, and make money. I need to make a difference. And, and, and that's really exciting to see. Yeah, it is. And, you know, they all have young kids. I think, if, um, you know, Tim Gallagher, and he's been working for the, um, you know, for a children's group for and and headed headed it up for a number of years. Um, and he's got four kids at home, That's you know, right. and they're young. So, you know, um, Meg Sign is a brand new lawyer who's, you know, just joined a local community board. You see that consistently because I think they've seen it before them, come before them. And yeah. it's the next it you know it's the next step in in their development and their careers so. emulating what they see well gosh we could do this uh, all day long, I know. Um, as I said before, Will and I are big cheerleaders for the firm, but 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 for good reason. You know, we both have done uh, recruiting for the firm, associate development for the firm, and and I know that um, you know I learned a lot of that from uh, watching you, Will, come uh, before me. So uh, you know, again, we 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 all hope to kind of find that person that helps mentor us, and then and then and pass it along to you know future generations. Um, so before we wrap things up and what's been just a, a really enjoyable uh, trip down memory lane, let, let's um, uh, take just a moment since it's uh, Will's first time here on the show to to close things out with, uh, you know, my favorite game here on the episode of this episode of Briefly Legal, which is Get to Know That Crow. Uh, when we get to know that crow, we, we like to, you know, peel back that onion, learn something about the uh, uh, guests that maybe not everyone might know about them and and. Will is, you know, he's a character. I, I, I laughed to myself when I thought about you on the show thinking what in the world would be your, uh, uh, you know, your turn on know that crow. And, and I was delighted that you, that you picked something that, um, that I, uh, that I love about you is, you know, your exuberance. I've always thought to myself, you, you were just made for like, you know, stage performance. Right. And so uh, we were talking about that and, and, and lo and behold, you surprised me that uh, you even, is this right? You were invited to be a part of a a Broadway on Broadway show. When I was in, when I was in undergraduate, we, uh, I was at Catholic university and it has a very, um, very famous um, drama school. And it was started by um, father Hartke and it's Susan Sarandon and John Voigt and Ed McMahon and Helen Hayes. And it just goes back years and years and years. Um, but all of these these famous um, actors and actresses and they had a we had a musical review. And I'm a I'm a tap dancer and a jazz dancer and a, and a singer um, before I was a lawyer. And um, so I was in the program. And and after the opening night, um, I was invited. To, I had two individuals that were, that were, um, that were in the process of, they had all the money, they were putting together the show. Um, and they asked me to, to be a part of it. Um, and, um, so that was pretty, pretty heady stuff. Um, 
the, the what, what wasn't so heady is when, when I called my dad the next day and said, Dad, I'm going to New York for the summer. He said, no, no, you're coming <laughs> back and driving trucks for me this summer. Oh, so I you went from Broadway to, to truck driving. <laughs> went from Broadway in New York to 3601 South Broadway in Edmond <laughs> driving trucks for my dad. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was you know, I guess it woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of situation. But, you know, it was nice to be asked. They were incredibly gracious about about the fact that, you know, my father wanted me to come back and, and drive some trucks. But but it was, you know, it was also a lesson reality. It's also why I tell my kid that he's 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 got to pursue um, everything he he wants to because of that because of that little that little uh, come back and work for me this summer episode. But. Well, I'll tell you what, you were a triple threat, uh, but I guess maybe a, a quadruple threat when you throw in, you know, practice the law on top of it. But uh, uh, I, I would have loved to have seen you in Broadway, but I'm, I'm happier that you're uh, the, the performance stage for you is here at uh, Crow and Dunleavy because you've you've made quite the difference. And, and boy, has it been fun. I know this is probably, probably one of our longest uh, podcasts we've done. Producer Tyler's telling me to wrap things up, but uh, but I, I promise you will not. I could do this for days and days uh, because uh, we truly love this firm and and, and it, I'm so happy about the first 120 years and can't wait to see what happens next. So thanks, Will, for being here with us well, today. Thank, thank you. And thank you for doing this podcast. You, oh, know, you know how much I appreciate you and I, I do appreciate what you do for this firm, but also for the people that work with you directly. You do, you're a hell of a mentor and you do a great job. Well, thanks. Thanks. I'll slip you a 20 when the, when the show is uh, finished <laughs> taping. So, um, well, thanks everybody. Um, hopefully you've stayed here to the finish um, for what was a, a long look, but I think a really meaningful look at uh, the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy in our first 120 years, uh, what defines us and, uh, and what the future has to hold, which I think that future is very, very, very bright. So I thank all of you listeners for, uh, listening in uh, and I wish all of you uh, that you remain safe and happy and uh, take care of yourselves out there and I'm looking forward to the next time that we get to spend time together here on Briefly Legal. <laughs>